Everybody. Welcome to another episode of Rank It. This is going to be a Rank It slash Carnivorous Couch this week, so we'll, we'll come in with the Rank It theme song like we just did. Uh, we'll go out with the Rank It theme song, and then we'll go out with the Carnivorous Couch theme song and whatever funny drop we want to put in after that. Once again, this is a spoiler-full podcast, and we're doing our top 15 of the year 2014. We should have done top 14, but oh well, we'll cover that in our top 15. So, um, we have... Uh, as many people as we could muster, as many people as would come when we were being lazy about inviting people. Uh, so we have the specialist guest. Yes. And the regularist non-guest, Brady, Brady Larson. And also the, uh, quiet dog whispering Buddha himself. Uh, <laughs> dog whispering Buddha. Grandy. <laughs> yes. Um, quite right, quite right. Um, let me see. I would like to start, actually, by prefacing with, uh, so, you know, so that my list makes sense. Um, hey Brady, why don't you mumble into the mic for a while? I need to drop my my highs a little bit. Like literally mumble? Yeah. I don't think I know you. Dad, why are you staying up so late muttering? Your muttering is keeping me awake. It's from The Simpsons way back when. Okay, so I wanted to list uh, several movies that I'm going to see or that I would like to see that I didn't see in 2014. And so people are like, why didn't they make Rob's list? Uh, that's why I didn't see them. <laughs> um, so uh, K2, which is a documentary on the mountain, I believe. Uh, maybe I'm totally off base on that because I haven't seen anything about it. I just thought I heard a brief blip. Uh, Divorce Corp, which is about a, um, it's a documentary about the, how divorces have become like kind of a corporation and, uh, the amount of money extorted for lawyer profit from the practice of getting divorced that's way beyond, you know, what it was intended to be. Uh, Life Itself is a movie I wanted to see. Uh, mm. No Tears for the Dead, just because I judged that book by its cover, and it looks cool. Um, Being mm. Ginger, which is a <laughs> documentary on what it's like to be ginger like me. Um, Vera Our Best, which is a, a Swedish film about uh, four young kids who decide to form a punk band. Uh, Calvary, which is about a man who comes and talks to a priest and says, I'm going to kill you in a week, get your affairs in order. Right. That's, I yeah. really liked that movie. Uh, Ida, which I, I started and I liked, but uh, I was too sleepy that morning and fell asleep. Uh, Selma, <laughs> uh, which I should see because uh, people say it's good. Uh, Interstellar, which I've started a few times but fall asleep. Yeah. And Seventh Son, which I have to watch because it's based off in the Orson Scott card book, and he's my favorite author. So... And and by the way, when I say he's my favorite author, I mean his work. I don't mean him himself because <laughs> right? he used to be very, very, very humanist, and he's kind of become a crazy, crazy. He's still alive. Fucking yeah. I did oh, not yeah. know he's that. He's like fifty something. Really, I thought maybe he was in like the 60s. an. I thought he was dead. <laughs> Sorry. You thought he was dead. <laughs> you wished he was dead. <laughs> But at any rate, uh, I love Orson Scott Card. If you read his earlier books, he's very humanist. Uh, if you read his newer books, uh, it's kind of all about how uh, if you're not procreating with your sex, then why do you exist? Um, 
So, yeah, wow. he's kind of become a whack job in, in, in recent times, although he has a very beautiful mind for science fiction and kind of uh, the... <laughs> Anyway, uh, so if he's he like, was Ender's game. If he's stuck in traffic behind someone, he's like, God damn it, what are they? They better be making a fucking baby in there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so why don't we start with Brady uh, on his number uh, 15. Okay. And are, are you doing a haiku for each? Is you know, that what's I, up? I wrote haikus and I posted them. <laughs> I, I guess I'll read them off just because I think maybe this will sharpen and focus what I want to say. We don't want to go too well, long. Well, I think maybe you should do the haiku at the end. So, so do your thing and then do a haiku. No, no, I'm going to start with it. Yay! All right, so my number 15, my haiku, creativity and constraint, kiss and make up. I can't stop laughing. That is the very fantastic... Uh, Utter Bolt from the Blue, first movie I saw of 2014, and it's hard to name a movie that surpassed expectations more than the Lego movie. Uh, really, really positive message for kids. Uh, teaches them to kind of use creative thinking, but also doesn't throw out the uh, baby with the bathwater, doesn't come out against focused thinking. So it's a, a really sweet natured movie about the value of both of those things, and that's all great, but really it's just the funniest movie of 2014, it is pretty much quotable from front to back, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, uh, fantastic work from Chris Pratt, a really re-energized Morgan Freeman, a re-energized Liam Neeson. Yeah, just the funniest movie of the year. Just a great movie. That's all. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Grandy, would you like to go with your number 15? Yeah. Uh, so. I haven't watched that many movies from this year, so a bundle of them on my list I haven't seen. But I'm basing them off of expectations. And my number 15, I have seen, uh, which is Transformers. Um, and uh, it was a which pretty. Number, that? number 15? No, no, no. What number Transformers? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> like three or four or five. Okay. They've done a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I um, think it was Transformers 3 this year, right? I think it's four, actually. Four. I think, yeah, it's definitely past three. It's, it's, is it the Desolation of Earth or something like that? The Desolation of Smaug. Oh, wait, <laughs> the yeah. Transformers oh, 4, the Desolation, of, desolation yeah. of Smaug. I don't know. I haven't seen any of the Transformers movies because I hate Michael Bay. <laughs> Bay Simpson. He hates you, too. Wait, Bay Simpson was Clearly. okay, but Bay, uh, who's he working with now? Bay, oh. Uh, Schumacher? Uh, no, Bruckheimer. Bay Bruckheimer? What? I Bruckheimer Bay, isn't that? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah Bruckheimer's the producer with him. Yeah, and I mean, I like The Rock, but anything past that, uh, Bay Simpson all the way, and fuck Bay Bruckheimer. Anyway, it was Grandy's turn, I'm sorry. I didn't oh, yeah, so, uh. I thought it was a pretty alright movie, not as good as it should have been. Uh, really drawn out. I think it could have stood to be an hour shorter. Wow. Um, but, uh, yeah, I kind of like the, the story that they had towards the beginning. Pretty much right up until the dinosaurs started uh, <laughs> running amok. Uh, but yeah, number 15, Transformers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, please, people who make movies, 90 minutes is good. 90 minutes is good. That. You don't really need to go beyond 90 minutes. Uh, if you're making a movie with an intermission, okay, then you can go beyond 90 minutes. But if you're not going to give me that fucking intermission, 90 it's minutes, please. Ask. 90 minutes, 100 minutes, 88 minutes, somewhere around there, that's good. If you've got more than that, you've probably got too much. Like, your, your, your points are too diffuse. 
<laughs> I think over 90 minutes is absolutely fine, unless you're having to try to get it so that it's longer, and then they get stupid. Yeah, it varies. I wouldn't shave a minute off of, like, Lawrence of Arabia. And no, and I'm talking in general. I'm talking with, with, like, action movies, right? I'm not talking about with, like, biopics or, uh, you know, yeah, no, very yeah. long dramas, right, that are epic films that are shot in 70 millimeter and using one of the best actors, uh, you know, the man telling have. a story about a very extraordinary human being. I just mean when you're making Transformers, uh, Transformers 9 or, like, Spider-Man reboot 9 <laughs> part 5. 90 minutes, please. <laughs> I, I mean, to be honest, it's, 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 it's for your benefit. You only make 90 minutes of film, it's cheaper to make 90 minutes of film, and you still get the same amount of money out of it. So why the fuck drag it on to, like, a billion years long? And you can do more screenings that way, too, because if they're all three hours long, then you can only do four screens in a day, you could now do eight. Fucking... Everybody, God. think this through, Everybody, guys. idiots. So anyway, my number 15 is a documentary about Elaine Stritch called Shoot Me. Um, it's, it's kind of a very... It's a very... Uh, slow-moving piece on, on what it's like to be old and have a life of uh, experience and, uh, you know, to be, she's continuing her art and so forth and so on. She's, she's battled with addiction, been to meetings, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you get to be 80, whatever she was, 85, 86 or something like that or late 70s and, and you, you know, you've been through alcohol treatment and stuff, you're like, I'm fucking 85. I'm going to die soon. Can't I have a drink a day? Like, can I have a fucking drink a day? <laughs> you know, so that's one of the things that she battles with. And then she goes, no, I have to stop drinking a day. And, you know, she's constantly justifying it to herself and this and that. And there's, uh, you know, just kind of the uh, relationship between her and her younger workers, um, so forth and so on. It, it, it's a very heartfelt movie that, you know, makes you go like, wow, what's in a life? I mean, if you really think about 85 years and this person starts in their early 20s, just like a 65-year career and all the people she's worked with and everything she's done. And, uh, yeah, there's a kind of feeling that she's just a batty old lady now, but there's also kind of a feeling of, you know, she's still got it. So it was really interesting. There's just many different colors on that palette uh, that this movie was able to paint about being somebody who's been through such a life. Hmm. Uh, so, Tess, your number 15? Um, so my number 15 is Dear White People. Uh, I thought that it was really funny. Ooh, I um, need to put that on my list of movies. Yeah, too. no, it's good. Um, if you haven't seen it, see it. It's very funny. I think it has a lot of energy. Um, I think this, it's this guy's first film. Yeah, I think so. Do you know his name? Uh, Justin Simeon. Justin I Simeon. I saw him on an interview in, uh, The Daily Show, I think, and, um... Pretty much everything that I have to say about the movie was said on The Daily Show. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was it was very funny. Uh, the main character was really, really great. Um, I'm not sure who the actress was. I thought she was, like, a really funny comedian. And um, there's the, the one character of the, the, the gay kid that kind of, like, doesn't really fit in at this college kind of anywhere. And I thought he was really interesting which is one of the things they said on The Daily Show. So, uh, yeah, I, I recommend it. Very good. Um, it's kind of like very first film feeling to it, which is my only real critique is like you do kind of get the sense that he's kind of like trying to find a voice and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing more stuff from this guy. Uh, really 
thought that, that the style was really neat and yeah, they're white people. Okay, uh, my number 14, my haiku, uh, Woody's NYC is reborn and rekindled with less cynicism. I'm a big fan of uh, the films of Woody Allen, especially his 70s <laughs> stuff, uh, Annie Hall in Manhattan, uh, where he kind of used the beauty of New York as a backdrop for kind of these uh, dramas of like often very small-minded people, but very human people going through their issues. And so I love Louis C.K. First off, I love his hunger that he's now becoming a filmmaker using his own TV show to actually kind of develop these very modest films that are really terrific. Uh, and in this case, I'm talking about The Elevator. Uh, but what I also like is, uh, you know, Tess and I have talked about this, I think he's got what Alan has in terms of being very observant and kind of lyrical with like just a dash of surrealism for comedy's sake. Uh, but he's less cynical than Woody Allen. Mm. I mean, Woody Allen was always is very fixated on death, and you know, being kind of a bitter pill is his deal. Louis got a bit of that, but I think it's more mm. rooted in kind of humility. Yeah. And so I'm I'm not ready to say yet that anything CK's done is at the level of Annie Hall or Manhattan, but this kind of stuff is very much in keeping with that. I think we need more films like it. And I just think uh, The Elevator, which is six episodes of his TV show strung together, is just the kind of like very refreshing, observant, sweet-natured, uh, small-scale human domestic drama that we need more of. And it's really just a, a beautiful look at human connection and, and lack thereof in one of the biggest cities in the world. So. I want to say something about um, the you know, where Woody Allen is kind of, like, obsessed with death and is just, like, I'm constantly haunted by the specter of my own mortality, like, you know, constantly throughout his entire filmography. <laughs> and, like, while uh, uh, CK has that, like, I think he definitely peppers it with a lot more of, like, yeah, you're going to die, but you're alive, and that is awesome. Like, look around you. Just fucking open your eyes and look. Yeah, And you'll totally. see that, like, yeah, that's really upsetting, but also, like, stuff is cool. So, yeah. yeah. interesting thing about, about that. When people talk about being obsessed with death and, and stuff like that, I think people don't realize that that really is, like, depression. Just when it's like, but what's the point of living? I mean, like, <laughs> we're all going to burst into a billion yeah. flames in four million years anyway. I mean, <laughs> what's, uh, what do their best why should I even... Why the universe isn't going to expand for a billion years. <laughs> well, but why should I even... Uh, well, I don't know what voice I'm doing now. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, that's depression. So if you feel that way, please get help. Um, anyway, uh, we're on to Brady's number 14. That, that was my number 14. Oh, the wait, elevator. sorry, yeah, yeah. We're on I uh, highly recommend. Go watch Louie. It's the best show on television. Okay, we're it's on the Grandy's exactly number 14. It's not exactly a movie, but whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number 14, which I have seen, is uh, Godzilla. Um, Ooh, my expectation... Oh, uh, yeah. Ryan Cranston like was minute. in that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Godzilla. Have seen it. My expectations for it were quite low. Uh, and it definitely <laughs> met those low expectations. <laughs> um... I'm looking forward to uh, the one that's coming out in a year or two, which uh, the Japanese are going to be making. Um, Is it spelled G-A-W-D-Zilla instead? I have no idea. 
Godzilla. Uh, but yeah, b- b- pretty decent movie. Big scary monster always makes for a good show. Um, so yeah, Godzilla number fourteen. Cool. Uh, my number 14 is a surprising one, I'm sure, to most of you. Uh, maybe not Grandy, but uh, Edge of Tomorrow, which um, was a fairly good action movie. It doesn't... Um, which one was this? Uh, this is the Tom Cruise one where... Groundhog oh, Day. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. basically Groundhog Day, but on the battlefield, and nobody will believe him, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, and, I mean, it, it very much draws from, like, recent movies, uh, other than Groundhog Day, like Source Code. It's very much, uh, which was made by the Zoe Bowie, Duncan Jones, is his name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, yeah, that movie's really cool. But, I mean, it, it's a movie that um, has Tom Cruise in it, so that it's already got a mark against it. But it really, it knows what it is, and it knows w- what it's supposed to be. And it, it, it kind of pokes fun at itself and jokes about it and then, you know, just, you know, the cyclical repeating of the same thing over and over again is almost a commentary on that that kind of movie mm-hmm. itself, that combat, like, this guy comes in and saves the day, blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, it's also nice that uh, the Tom Cruise character is very much, unlike most Tom Cruise characters, he's not a badass, he's not awesome, he gets forced into this situation for being a smarmy fuck, and, like, everybody knows he's a smarmy fuck. I mean... I guess I just like movies with Tom Cruise in them when he's a smarmy fuck. Yeah. Right? Like, I love yeah. Magnolia for that reason. And I like uh, Eyes Wide Shut because you forget that Tom Cruise is in it because Kubrick's that good. <laughs> but at any rate, so yeah, Edge of Tomorrow does a very good job of being what it is. Doesn't uh, paint uh, Tom Cruise as a badass. Pokes fun at itself and it's just, it's not too long and it's all in all, in all like a, a fun, interesting morning movie to have with your coffee. Cool. So, Tess, you're number 14. 14. Uh, it's The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Uh, Ooh, that's on my list to speak to. Beautiful. Um, gorgeous animation. Um, really interesting, like, somewhat simple fairy tale, but with a lot of, like, human elements, and I'm sure Brady's going to talk about this, too, because I think it's on your list. Maybe. Um, so I might leave him his much more eloquent... Uh, probably description of it. I, I will say this. The Japanese voice actor that did the voice of the father was so funny. That that was like my main takeaway. was like, even though I don't speak Japanese, I could tell this guy was really funny. <laughs> and we were like laughing a whole bunch at a bunch of his oh, fine oh, deliveries. Oh, oh. No, Brady described him as a Japanese Homer Simpson because there's this one part where like they're trying to train this girl to be a princess and she kind of doesn't want to. And at one point, like, she's really upset about it. And her dad goes, but being a princess is every little girl's dream. <laughs> and, like, it sounded just like a Homer Simpson delivery. It was so funny. Anyway, really good movie. Uh, great Japanese voice actor, that guy. <laughs> um, Does he ever put his fingers funny. together and run around very much he like uh, the, ro- the oh, Rock Wayne Johnson? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Quickly gives yeah, way to yeah. piteous moping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this no. is the but worst. He, but he loves her so much. Um, anyway, that that's it. Princess Kaguya, number 14. Go ahead. All right, number 13. More than a movie. The best spy movie made or the end of us all? 
Uh, so I'm talking about the great Oscar-winning documentary Citizen Four. Mm. Uh, Citizen Four is interesting because it is a great documentary in terms of the information it presents, but really the moment it's capturing and the way it's depicted are one and the same because the story is that Edward Snowden blowing, blowing up everything on the fact that we're all being methodically spied on was the news, and this film pretty much did that. I mean, you know, the film is just coming out this year, but the act of the filmmaker capturing it was Snowden's decision to actually blow that information. And this is just the filmic record that's finally coming out. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a good mixture of... It's a lot of information, as it should mm -hmm. be, because the, the real point to take away from it is we should be horrified. Uh, we should be absolutely horrified at the invasion of pri privacy that's happening right now and is expanding as we sit here. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people didn't... I got that when the news came out, but I feel like a lot of people didn't... Like have I, I said, have you seen Citizen Four? They're like, yeah, that shit's crazy. I'm like, didn't you think that shit was crazy when the news came out? And they're like, I didn't really understand, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they just spelled it out. But I actually went and did research on what PRISM was. And, you know, Citizen Four doesn't even really talk about what PRISM was. It talks about the impacts of it. Right. But it doesn't talk about what it actually is. Um. Which, you know, I'll, I'll just give a, a brief little thing. The reason it's called PRISM is because they go to the fiber optic routers and they install a half mirror, which routes one version to their routers and one version to um, uh, where it's supposed to go. So they're basically splitting the, the beam of light and sending the information, a direct copy, in two different directions. Now, you would think, hmm, well, only if AT&T lets them, uh, which AT&T has, or if Microsoft lets them, which they haven't, but then they just went downstream and set one up anyway. Or, but okay, so only through Microsoft and AT&T. I'm not an AT&T or Microsoft customer, so I shouldn't care. Uh, that's not how the internet works. The internet works this way. Um, traffic goes to the, the route of res least resistance. That means it could go through my computer, it could go through Grandy's router, it could go through Steve Jobs' router. Mm -hmm. It's just whatever's the path of le least resistance. When you have giant companies like Google and AT&T and Verizon, who have giant networks, and you have these little prism things installed like right at their front door, uh, most of the traffic on the internet, regardless of whether or not it's in China trying to go to Sweden or whatever, goes through there because it's just the biggest yep. one with the most bandwidth, and so it goes through. So the fact that they're diverting that and making a little copy of it <laughs> and storing it in a thing so that they can basically have a wayback machine for anything you do on the internet is a serious impact, people. Uh, if it doesn't feel like it yet, go watch Citizen 4, and then you'll get it. Man, I wish they'd <laughs> indeed, stop indeed. switching my so, packets. So, yes, uh, and I kind of was going for this in my review, and perhaps what you've just heard from Rob is also illustrative of this point, is it, at the heart, there's an awful lot of information, very complex information, and it's, it's mostly harrowing uh, and, and terribly depressing. Uh, and what the movie does, and this is kind of what I was going at in my review, it's almost perverse, but I think is good, is right for it, is that the most depressing news ever, like, you know, imagine hearing of, of Hitler coming to power with this same kind mm -hmm. of guy. Imagine watching Hitler coming to power and the movie that lets you know of it is one of the most awesome war movies you've ever seen. By the same token, a movie that's officially letting us know that we are being spied on, that we are in a complete futuristic spy state now, like we really are, uh, is actually the best spy movie I've probably ever seen. It blows any James Bond film off the map. It's completely tense. 
uh, just really fascinatingly done in a way that's almost perverse because it, it shouldn't be this much fun to hear about I the way that society. Well, I mean, but <laughs> it's not fun, but like it's really gripping the way it's presented. And and by the way, um, when they talk about stuff like this, they go like, "Yeah, it's just been ever since 9/11." No, no, I'm sorry, they've been doing this since like '92. So. <laughs> Don't think of it as oh, just since two thousand and one. No, they've been doing this since before then. It's it's that's not a that wouldn't be an excuse, and that's just not the case. So people who think that, yeah. and it's like a, a way to live in post age terrorism. It's like no, no, it's what they're going to do. They just figured they had the ability to do this, and so started to do it. Uh, well, they invented the internet, and then they said, hey, shouldn't we just uh, catalog all that? Uh, yeah, probably should. Data. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh. Yeah, so that's it for me. Number 13. Ah, uh, yes, so my number 13, which I haven't seen, is uh, How to Train Your Dragon uh, <laughs> 2. Because the first one was awesome. <laughs> and I love that style of uh, cartoon. And dragons are nifty. <laughs> and uh, I'll bet it was great. And so, yeah, How to Train My Dragon 2, my number 13. I want to say I didn't. I, dragon Two did not make my list. Um, Wait, how to train your dragon to do what? It was how to train your dragon just to train it. How to train your dragon to train your dragon. How to train? How to train your dragon to? We have the porn title. <laughs> I guess you should watch the movie to find that out. <laughs> no, but how to train your dragon to what? Be a good dragon boy. <laughs> yeah, that's but why isn't that boy. part of the title? Why is it just How to Train Your Dragon to dot dot dot? I mean, I why, I understand <laughs> why the fuck they're doing this now. to us. <laughs> that took me way too long. Uh, how did, to Train only. Your Dragon to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the real franchise opportunity. It's like How to Train Your Dragon to cook. <laughs> how to Train Your Dragon to park. How to train your dragon to cook for humans. <laughs> it's a cookbook. All right, Rob, was, do it. It's, I don't know. I just wanted to say about that movie um, that it, it the, the first one was so good because it was like an origin story for these characters, and then all of a sudden it was just like kind of exactly what you'd expect for the second one, where it's just like, and everybody has dragons now, and they're flying around, and like all of that, like, you know, relationship building that makes the first one so good is like just absent. So I wanted to say that. Bummer. Uh, okay, so my number 13, wait, thir no, yeah, 13. 13. Yeah, okay. Uh, because Randy's number 13 was that, uh, is uh, Force Majeure which is a Swedish film um, about uh, the aftermath of an incident. It does happen on camera in, like, maybe the first 15 minutes of the film. Um, there's a dude hanging out with his, uh, his wife and kids, and uh, they're looking at this controlled avalanche, and it keeps coming closer. And he goes, oh, no, don't worry. Don't worry. It's, uh, it's planned. It's controlled. Don't worry. Don't worry. And it keeps coming closer. Uh, it's fine. And then the dust just kind of comes in, and they're like, and he goes like, oh, fuck. And then he just, like, grabs his phone and his bag and just, like, runs the, uh, grabs his glove and his phone and runs the fuck away. And it turns out it's not really an avalanche. It's just the aftermath dust. It was a mistake. It wasn't supposed to hit the people. And everybody's fine. 
But then he just kind of like shows up and goes like, well, that was, that was crazy, right? And then there's this ongoing thing of, you know, they're at dinner and the wife brings it up and she's like, and he just grabbed his phone and his camera and ran away. And, um, and he's like, no, I didn't. And then they play it back on the phone because they were filming the avalanche <laughs> as it was coming. And it's totally just him running the fuck away. <laughs> and then so it has, um, it, it goes through the days of, of when they're um, on the trip and basically, which is a word I need to stop saying, um, essentially, that one I can still use, uh, it goes through <laughs> the machinations of, you know, feeling like you'll be, like the, the kids and the mom feeling like, like they're going to be abandoned or, or like that he doesn't care about them versus, you know, feeling like what is a man, feeling like what does it take to be a man, you know, points like, well, of course I have to run the hell away. You're supposed to stay with the kids because you're the, the mom and the, you're the nurturing one and I'm supposed to run the fuck away then come back and dig you out and make it make sure I survive so you can survive. Or, And they have all these different points that go on back and forth between... Uh, and as they tell the story to their friends, you know, their friends start to kind of mirror their dichotomy and go like, well, you'd run away too. And, and it just kind of spreads like a wildfire through this group of people who are on vacation until it finally eventually culminates in yeah, we're, we're each good at our own things, and that's what makes a couple. It's, it's a combination of the two. It's not any one person being in charge of everything. And it just kind of explores, you know, the role play between uh, individuals. So, number 13, force majeure. Um, so my number 13 is under the skin. Um, I, you know, I didn't think a lot about what I was going to say about this movie, but I remember having a lot of thoughts after I left the theater, just... I have thinking a lot thoughts. of thoughts. <laughs> uh, no, it was it was really what's his Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, uh, she's so good in this, um, and she's like creepy, and it's a creepy, creepy movie. And um, in a bunch of unknown really actors as well. There's uh, there's some normalizing of the dong, <laughs> which I thought was pretty great. Um, and by that thumb. I mean you see full frontal male nudity and nobody says boo. Um, what was it rated R? I'm gonna say yeah. The, the I'm penis were gonna blasted. say not rated, but <laughs> uh, we see a human get sucked out of their skin. Yeah, I'm gonna it's say it's gross. Yeah, no, I'm, I think it, I think sure. it just wasn't rated. <laughs> At least. I think it's just not rated. Well, that's why I'm saying is like they you couldn't get a, don't see. Well, yeah, because they can't get if they can't get a rating from the MPAA, they just go okay, it wasn't rated by the MPAA. Huh. Well, I don't. Which know is how X not, used to come <laughs> up. You know, they'd be like, yeah. uh, it's rated X as in undefined. Okay. But at any rate. I'm guessing it's not rated, but I'll look it up. Yeah, I don't or know. Or we'll have Steve look it up, if there's a Steve. Yeah, Steve look it up. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, really, really pretty, very, very creepy. Like, it, I left feeling really weird about it. And um, I think, like, I had some interesting points about, like, Photoshop and, you know, the way women are represented. And I can't remember any of those now, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, maybe if it's on anybody else's list, they can say some things that maybe I'm trying to say. But, yeah, very, very thoughtful, interesting movie. Very chilling, bone chilling. Go ahead, 13. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, now we're on to number 12. Oh, uh, wait, you're, yeah, you're first. So I, I have world's best movie star meets neorealism. We need each other. And now, that's probably a point for debate whether the beautiful, uh, ridiculously talented Marion Cotillard is the world's best movie star. I say if, you know, if we count a star as someone with international sex appeal, 
able to be in big movies and also be insanely talented, I'd put her right up there at the front as uh, one of the best actresses working today. And I'm very happy that she got nominated for this movie, uh, which is Two Days, One Night, the uh, film from the Darden brothers from Belgium, who are known for kind of very uh, observational, very kind of spare working class dramas. Uh, kind of just they use non-professional actors a lot and they're these very quiet films. And this is kind of like that, but they seamlessly mix in this big movie star. And she not only blends in, but she's an utter powerhouse in this. And uh, it's basically about a woman who's had uh, a bout of depression. Uh, she's been on hiatus from work for six months because she basically had a nervous breakdown. And she wakes up one day and gets a call from her friend saying that she's been let go of the plant. You know, in your absence, the bosses have decided that we don't need you anymore. And, but what's actually happened is they've offered people bonuses. And there's been some impropriety because they made it sound like, well, you can either have a bonus and we'll fire her or we'll keep her and you won't get a bonus. And some of you might also be fired, which is incorrect. Uh, so she gets the chance to go around and convince her coworkers to have a revote to keep her. But what she has to convince them to do is to keep her rather than keep their bonus. And so it's kind of this very touching story of like working class solidarity, but also this really good, like you'd think this sounds kind of boring and spare, but it actually com becomes this very moving act of her. Uh, and we've all been here, I think, of being the kind of person who just wants to tuck up and go to sleep when adversity kind of comes down on you. And so that's kind of what she wants to do is like, no, I'll just wait till Monday, we'll have the revote, but I don't want to talk to any of these people, like it's embarrassing. And kind of through her support unit, through her husband and friend, they kind of coax her into not only fighting for her position, but kind of fighting to assert the fact that she actually exists. And it just becomes this very moving uh, tale of solidarity that's very, very well acted. Uh, so yeah, I recommend this very highly. Oh, cool. Excellent, excellent. Ra uh, Grandy, would you want to go on to your number yeah, 12? Yeah, my number 12 is uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, which uh, I thought was a really good movie. I like the idea of it, where it's kind of just like a video game where you go, 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 and when you die, you start over. And, mm. uh, and then Tom Cruise, who I don't think took away from it, um, and I don't think he t really takes away from any of the movies that I've seen him in lately or before. Mm. Uh, Whatever. Quantify that statement with uh, War of the Worlds. Does he take away from it. that? Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I like the like the kind of video game aspect of it, um, and it was just like a really cool uh, idea, and uh, I thought quite well executed. Uh, so yeah, Edge of Tomorrow, number twelve. Okay, my number twelve was uh, as Brady said, the unexpected uh, Lego Movie, which you know at the beginning uh, of that year, um, in fact, uh, up until I saw Under the Skin, I think was the best movie of the year thus so far, and then. It's quickly followed by Under the Skin, uh, which might have been released before, but I thought after, mm -hmm. and uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, which kind of started to knock it down, and it got knocked down as more and more good movies uh, entered the thing, but it was a very good movie. Um, it doesn't make any sense that nobody recognized it for animated feature or what comedy or anything that? like that. Fucking fiasco. A travesty. Yeah. Because the animation was amazing, so if it's just based on the merit of how it looks, okay. If it's based on the merit of uh, how funny it is, okay. If it's based on the merit of 
is it a good story that actually has a message in an arc and uh, is cohesive and isn't boring? Okay, is it good for adults and uh, yeah. and kids? Yes. I, what the fuck didn't it do that you would want it to do? Know, <laughs> right? What did it do wrong? Right. I, I think I think what it did wrong was being released twelve months prior, and everybody's just like, oh yeah, I, I kind of forgot. How could they? Yeah, uh, just because people have. Is it weird because there was a live action sequence? What? There was a live action sequence. Well, there was a bunch of stop motion and stuff too. Uh, there wasn't much stop motion though. It uh, was just the credits. Oh, I was told that like uh, a third of it was like no. stop motion, and then they augmented it with uh, with mm-hmm. uh, graphics and stuff like that. Maybe we'll have Steve pull uh, that maybe. up for us that as well. That is incorrect. Um, it was just the credits. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know for sure, but Steve, is, that's his job is to look shit like that up. Uh, by the way, Steve tells me that uh, um, um, Under the Skin is rated R. So that's interesting. Um, uh, that's probably the first one I've seen with full... Oh, uh, no. A Quills has full male frontal yeah. nudity, Quills and it was, was rated R. awful. Yeah, I think, I think I saw that with Ross. I saw that with my parents. I saw it with Ross, too. Oh, that's more uncomfortable uh, than seeing it with Ross. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So, Ross and my parents. <laughs> Lego Movie, uh, very good. My number 12. Lego My Movie. Yeah. Jess, what's your uh, number 12? Uh, my number 12 is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, I feel kind of bad that Budapest? it didn't... Budapest? The Grand Budapest Hotel. Just put more P's in it uh, so that we need a pop filter on your mic and just Budapest show how bad I am hotel. at, like, putting putting pop filters on the mic so they don't... P- when you pop... P- p- <laughs> you're, you're basically, just by adding in these P's, mm. uh, uh, showing everybody how substandard my studio setup is. Um, okay, anyway, um, Grand Budapest Hotel, um, I feel kind of bad that it didn't break into my top ten here, because it was really good, but I kind of, I don't know, I had to make room for some other stupid stuff. (laughs) You'll see. Um, Make room for some other shit. Uh, but it was really good, um, I think, you know, Wes Anderson, I didn't like him for a second, and now I'm starting to like him again, so... That's that's really refreshing. Um, he's starting to to you know tell stories that go beyond just like my father figure's kind of shitty, kind of sh- shit asshole. And like <laughs> this was not that, and it's nice to see him branching out. Um, I like how mean you are. Also, yeah, <laughs> I like how mean you made him. I don't like how mean you made me. Um, <laughs> Is that that feeling? Yeah. <laughs> enough um but yeah it was really pretty um i liked all of the uh what did what did he use like little little models for the the hotel and that well he always uses models yeah i mean when he did like life aquatic he took a full boat and cut it in half (laughs) he's really cool with his sets and stuff always yeah the toboggan race was uh yeah that was yeah stop motion animation yeah i I, I missed half of that because I went to the bathroom. I know, I know. I and then I came back and everyone was like talking about how great it was and I was like so sad and I haven't, Why watched, are we chasing I haven't rewatched him? it. Yeah. But um yeah, really maybe maybe it would be higher on my list if I had seen that scene. Slow um, down. It's all I can do to keep us <laughs> <to keep laughs> level. Um so anyway, yeah, my uh my number twelve, Grand Budapest. 
All right, number 11. The literary world rendered with acid wit and great tenderness. Uh, this is Listen Up, Philip, uh, the, I want to say, second film from director Alex Ross Perry. I still haven't seen his first film, The Color Wheel, but I, you know, I've seen this film actually a few times now. I'm really fond of this. Uh, and, you know, I'll just go back to what I said in my review. What impresses me most is that this film, which kind of looks at artists being assholes, it's basically about this writer played by Jason Schwartzman, who's had success with his first novel, is in the process of promoting and writing his second one. And from all that we hear is, is a great and promising talent, but from what we see is just the most unrepentant shit you'll ever see. I mean, this, I, this is the kind of movie that I think will probably lose 30% of the people who see it because he's just such a shit. But really, it's this very human look at kind of the divide between being a great artist and being a great person and kind of coming to terms with the fact that, that even the, the most talented people we know, you know, like just for example, I, I hate to talk ill of the Beatles, but they are my favorite band. So, like, I remember being hurt when I heard that... So you can talk shit about yeah, them? Yeah, well, like, I remember being hurt when I heard that, like, oh, John Lennon had some trouble with domestic abuse. I'm like, oh. But, like, that wasn't, that's an educational process for all of us, I think, is learning that the people who make some of the most humane, like, beautiful messages might not necessarily be perfect people themselves. Artists are, are flawed. And so, yeah, Bob Marley was no... Uh, oh, Bob Marley was a shit. And, I, and, and you always hear it, and you're like, you want to picture him relaxed? He's yeah. like, no, no, he's... No, relax, gentlemen. You can uh, smoke a bunch of weed, grow your hair for long, he's and so we can uh, have sex with 16-year-old um, women. But, like, so this is, like... But what I also like about this movie is, like, it... So it mixes it perfectly, like, puts in this utter asshole character and somehow doesn't seem cynical itself, though it does deal, frankly, with him being an asshole. And it's also just got this perfect, like, view of what the book writing world must look like. Like even down to the way like they design fake books that some of the characters have written and you can just picture like seeing one of these in a library. So it's just a really meticulous, well acted, uh, just beautiful, funny movie. I, I, I don't know, I, I encourage everyone to see it. Very nice, very nice. Grandy, what was your number uh, 11? Uh, I put my number 11 as The Hobbit. Um, which uh, I don't think they should have made the Hobbit movies into three movies because it really yeah. drew out a... Hold on one second, Grandy. Ryan Boone, you're on Carnivorous Couch. <laughs> Yo, what's the, uh, what's the timing on your birthday thing at all? Three. Three? Three. <laughs> it's Rob's birthday today. Hey, hey, can you tell us your favorite movie of the year real quick since we're doing our top uh, 15 of 2014? Yeah, favorite movie this year. 2014. Of 2014. Oh, man. I probably only saw one movie that came out this year. What was it? Uh, 2014, though. We're talking last about... Last year. So last year. Yeah, no. I probably only saw one movie that came out in 2014. I listened to a lot of music, not a lot of movies. Uh, um, okay, favorite album, then. Well, what's the one movie you saw, then? <laughs> yeah. What was it? Oh, that was that was, that the, was year the year before. before. <laughs> okay, so I haven't seen any movie that came out this year. Wow. Okay, well, well, what was your favorite album? Um, album. The new album. I don't. I also probably haven't listened to any new music. I kind of listen to old music and 
Well, you just have no opinions. We'll have to have you on the show. <laughs> It'll help. <laughs> All right, so I'll see you at 3 o'clock. Okay, here, I'm... All right, bye. <laughs> Sorry about that, The best movie Grandy. of 2014, <laughs> The Godfather. <laughs> yeah. I watched that shit. It's beautiful. Well, that's my number one. Sorry about that, Grandy. You were on your number 11, which was... Uh, oh, yes, my number 11, The Hobbit. Uh, like I was saying, I uh, kind of think that that was, shouldn't have been split up into three movies. Uh, so it was kind of long and drawn out. Um, but I love The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and... Uh, in those books and in that story is great. Um, yeah, it was a silly movie and my number 11. All right, power vacuum, man, power vacuum. All right, my number 11 is uh, Gone Girl, which I thought was uh, pretty well done. And actually, when it came out, a bunch of people were like, oh, it's really well done. Uh, was there any mention of it in Oscars, Brady? I mean, it was pretty close to a Best Picture nom. Uh, I mean, it was, did it get any nominations whatsoever? Yeah, it, it got Best Actress, and it was kind of the co-scandal with the Lego movie missing was Gillian Flynn not getting a screenwriter nomination. Yeah, okay, because it's interesting, and I, I kind of know why. I mean, really, if you think about the Academy and, w and what did get nominated and what did win for various things it's a lot of biopics about people who are, are downtrodden against in our current society uh, a lot of things that uh you know a, a lot of mention of of just the inherent sexism and the inherent uh racism in our capitalistic uh, patriarchy that we live in uh and gone girl kind of flips the script on that what it does is it it starts off with one way saying that this way and going like Oh, but not all the time. It's this, this is a flip, flippity-flop here um, about she's actually the villain and she's actually the crazy one and blah, blah, blah. Uh, meanwhile, it also gives her all the agency. It passes the Bechtel test, um, wow. even though it's not inherently a feminist film. So it's kind of interesting, um, and it kind of deals with a lot of those issues, but in a non-stereotypical way. It doesn't just go rah-rah, and it doesn't go poo-poo. Um, and I think that sort of... I'm like my <laughs> dragon. Exactly, and I think... <laughs> exactly. Everybody poops. Uh, how to train your dragon to rah-rah <laughs> and poo-poo. Um, but I mean... That's I, the worst movie I, I, in the series. <laughs> and, and there are times when this movie's a little bit over the top and, and such like that, but all in all, it was pretty well done. It was uh, a, a pretty good performance from Affleck, who didn't try to uh, sell you any car insurance. And, wow. <laughs> and uh, you know, it dealt with these things in a non-stereotypical way, which I think is why the Academy not really interested in recognizing that sort of thing right now in this climate. Um, anyway, so that's, uh, that's my number 11, and uh, we'll roll on to Tess's. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say, because uh, Gone Girl didn't quite make mine, but I saw it a couple times really improved for me on the second viewing. <laughs> I think the reasons it didn't get nominated were probably kind of what my vague issues with it are myself. It is very pulpy. It's based on a very popular, uh, you know, best-selling novel. That's It's got kind of a sensationalistic thing to it. And in some ways, that diminishes some of its critique. But it's really interesting, and it's fucking entertaining. And I think that's the reason it didn't get Best Picture nominated. Was they're like, uh, this is too, this is too lurid for us. Really, nothing, nothing to do with that. It doesn't necessarily say. You, you don't think that had anything to do with it? 
Right now, political though, social climate. I, at the I time. think obviously, like <laughs> especially in the wake of Oscars so white, the Academy still has a lot yeah. of issues they want to work through. But like the thing is, they badly want to be that person who's progressive. They're just they can't do it though if it's not handsomely dressed up. Mm-hmm. I th- I think they don't really care, but um, but they want to they want to look like they care. They don't actually care, but they they want to yeah. Uh, it needs to be dressed up. So it looks like we care, but we don't, yeah. we don't really give a shit. Have it be Kira Knightley in the imitation game and just directly say that women don't get enough opportunities. They're all up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that'll, get, that'll get stuff that, done. My mom that, by the way, that she, like, gets in by, like, doing a crossword puzzle. Which is a total lie. Like, that movie no, is a it's, lie. It's a lie wrapped, oh. in a, la- wrapped in several other make-believe stories. Oh, um, and, and by the way, before we get to that, well, I don't think it's going to be on anybody's top, no. whatever, but um, uh, there was also a big room full of 300 people that the machine would crack it down to a certain number and then everybody else would go through it by hand and crack it. So yeah. it wasn't like these people were the only people who knew that well, this was going on. There was a whole other 308 that, people or something that like that. That, Rob, in a, in a biopic, I can forgive. Yeah, but it's like that. all the other stuff that they just made up or left out is like, why would you even bother? Right. Like, there's so much other stuff about this guy that you could have included, and it was just put together so shoddy and like, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so let's get uh, Tess's uh, number eleven, and then we'll uh, we'll take a so break since we're a, a third of the way through. Oh yeah, maybe in we fact, can switch directions. One thing, one thing before the break, though, but we'll get to that. Oh wait, we have to do Grandy's number. Oh wait, number. no, never mind. Wait, what are we on? We're on eleven. For yeah. who? I ju- I've done For eleven, you. so we're. Right. I'm last. Yes. Okay. Um. So, yeah. Uh, my number eleven, and I I want to preface this by saying like. Almost nobody here is probably going to agree with me about how low this is on my list. Um, And frankly, it's just because the more I think about this movie, um, you know, the less the less I find it to be particularly as great as as everybody else did. And I don't know why that is, but it's boyhood. My number 11 is boyhood. It did not crack my top 10. Um, And I want to say, first of all, that I love uh, what's his name? Richard Linklater. Yeah, I got his name right. Um, yeah, uh, so I, I love Linklater, and I think that this was a really, really ambitious project, and I want to applaud him for undertaking it. I think it's a great idea. I think it was well executed. Um, I do think that um, part of part of what what I found um, kind of uh, troubling about just the way that it was put together is. As the story goes on, you know, you get you get so much story at the end where he's older, and I feel like it's because of the that it was shot in this order. He can't go back and add in stuff where the kid is younger that he might want. So he's padding it out at the end where he's go- finally going like, oh, and I kind of see where I'm going with this, and I like really, you know. But because of because of the nature of it, he can't. He couldn't have had the script complete. Like it was constantly in the works. So there, there is kind of this feeling of like aimlessness about it. Um, that I guess when you think of Linklater's films, there is sort of like an aimlessness about a lot of like the the before series. Um, but I think that that's really concise. It takes place in a short period of time. It's like 24 hours or something passing, and I feel like it could have used that kind of conciseness um, to to be a little bit more 
you know, cohesive and together. So there was that bit of the storytelling. I didn't think that the boy was a particularly good actor. He probably gets some shit for that, but, I mean, that's fine. It's whatever. You can't know if a kid's going to be good. Like, <laughs> whatever. Um, what I did like about it, I think um, there were a lot of very good performances. The woman that played the mother, what's her name? Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette was so good. Um, she, yeah, she really... I, and I really, Linklater's daughter was really, like, she impressed me. She really did. Um, I, I thought she was a better actor than the boy. Um, and uh, it's, it's surprisingly, it's surprisingly funny. You There's a lot of, the boy. a lot of, oh, shut up. We'll get to that. <laughs> um, so, and I thought, yeah, I thought it was, it was like really had a lot of uh, just seeing like the passage of time and, um you know, interesting, good undertaking. I totally forgot what I was going to say because you guys started talking about the Babadook now. <laughs> anyway, You boyhood. were so easily distracted. All I said was, the boy. And then well, Brady then he said, started, yeah, and then I And Brady forgot. said, bring me the boy. And then, that's like, seven words can distract you from a point. Yeah, I was going to say crazy. something. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, boyhood number 11. I'm sure we'll talk about it more as time goes on because it's going to be on all your all lists. So do it. Way higher up. Yeah, and then we know we, that you're listening and then we put a lot more effort into <laughs> getting shit that done. That is a lie. <laughs> hey, if I knew if I knew the more people were listening for sure. I for, we'd clean up our like, act. We'd, <laughs> I totally I would. would. We'd wipe the vomit <laughs> off our shoes. But yeah. they're not yeah. listening, so no. we won't. Exactly. I mean, I just need to... Uh, I'm going to vomit some I more. Need, <laughs> So I need some validation. You saying don't listen, and you guys will be more belligerent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and if you look at if you look at the, I've been re-listening to the earlier episodes. I'm going to start re- releasing a remastered version of them because some of them are quite low quality. But when you listen to them, when we knew that nobody was listening, <laughs> they're pretty swilly. They're. Pr- I am <laughs> pretty swilly. I am. I yes. There's definitely. <laughs> There's definitely the before sunrise. I am obviously on beer eight or something. <laughs> that was how the Babadook one was for me. I was like so drunk. <laughs> now yeah. everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, we're doing our, our top ten now. Uh, we've whittled it down to that far, and we're gonna start with uh, Brady's number ten. Okay, but actually, we're not gonna start with me, Rob, because now it's time to bring in our contest winner. Uh, last week I put out haikus, which I'm reading now for my top 25 films, and uh, I said whoever guessed the most of them right, I'd read their top 10 on the air. Uh, that person happens to be a commenter named 1SO from Film Spotting, uh, a podcast that I very much like. So Obviously. My pleasure to tip my cap to that podcast. Yes, me too. I, I will chime in and join the course. And uh, yeah, I, and I, what I think I'll do is uh, he'll get the uh, top position. He'll He'll get to cycle through with us. He's given me a few notes on his favorites. His very number one is actually a film we're considering 2013, but I'll give that a shout-out. His would be The Wind Rises would be his number one film for this year. Uh, But since we're counting it last year, I'll just get it out of the way. Oh, that's so excellent. Yeah, no, be excellent to each other. Uh, So his number ten in that case would be Godzilla, which came up already on Grandy's list. Uh, He says, I think it has just the right amount to make each appearance special. Imaginative Evil Monsters 2, the best sounding film of the year. Interesting. Here, 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 here. Okay, which brings us to my number 10. 
My haiku uh, is female friendship and punk in 80s Sweden make a darling fuck you. Uh, <laughs> and that is uh, We Are the Best from Swedish director Lukas Moodyson. Uh, basically what this is is actually the story of Moodyson's wife who wrote a graphic novel about her time being uh, in a punk band when she was 13. And so it's kind of a love letter from husband to wife. It's also just this adorable, impeccably captured 1980s period piece that's all kind of about the punk music scene and about these these three girls uh, coming of age in it. And so it's it's uh, it's hard to explain why it's so great, but it's really great. On a second watch, what really clicked in for me was how funny this movie is. And so it's it's a great education of punk music, which I'm a big fan of, and uh, some of the best child acting I've seen in a long, totally. long time. And so, yeah, I, I really encourage people to check this movie out, especially if you're interested in punk music or if you just want a, a nice, heartwarming, coming-of-age story that, you know, if you want to talk about passing the Bechdel test, I think this film, more than any other this year, uh, passes that. So, Kay. we are the best from Sweden. Very good, very good. Uh, Grandy, what is your number 10? Well, for my number 10, I put down the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, Solid movie, really stylistic, and uh, and another like just real fun movie. Did you see that with us? Were you? Yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah. Okay, you were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was pretty solid. Thus, it is my number ten. Excellent, excellent. Uh, my number ten is Baba Doop Doop Doop, which actually <laughs> it was um it it was gonna be Locke, but then I realized that somehow I didn't put Baba Duke on my top fifteen. And it definitely falls around the same place, and eh, I'm not super sad that Locke didn't make my top 15. I really enjoyed Locke, uh, however, not as much as... I mean, it, it should probably be my 15, since it's not going to be my 10. Uh, knocking off Elaine Schritt, shoot me. Uh, or, or 14, knocking off Elaine Schritt, shoot, shoot me after knocking Edge of Tomorrow down. But, you know, um, basically, uh, last-minute changes, because it has to be there. Um... Uh, incredibly well done movie uh it, it's a terrifying horror movie but the but the thing is is that if you want it for a horror movie scary monster horror movie oh my god where's the scary monster scary monster where's the scary monster gonna be uh you can take it that way if you want to look at it as a uh analogy for the psychological state of a parent who is who's comes unhinged around a certain time of year um, and maybe none of this supernatural stuff is actually happening. It's just all a representation of, like, the evil within or the traumatic experience. You can look at it that way. If you want to look at it as there is no monster or the monster is just the perception of this person when they go nuts, you can look at it that way. Uh, you could look at it any way you want, and you can get whatever you want out of it. Um, and so in, in that way, it's really accessible. I mean, it's... it's still a terrifying movie but you don't have to be scared of the monster you could be scared of just emotion and you know it working on that many levels that's uh, definitely the best uh horror genre film i've seen uh in a very long time we're getting a like a, a re resurgence rebirth of of the horror genre right now where like lots of stuff is coming out that's supposed to be awesome yeah. and it, it follows uh soon to follow on our podcast oh yes that's right uh I see should that. be next week have you guys seen it follows 
No. No, we're doing it for the podcast. Oh, next I want to watch that. Yes, yes. Right. Let's right. do that. Okay. Yeah, you know, we'll get it there and we'll, we'll put it out. Uh, it's, uh, what's your number 10 there, Tess? Um, my number what's 10 is. What's uh, your number 10 there, Tess? Pompey, uh, Ca- Calvary. My number 10 is Calvary. Ooh, I want to see that. Um, you know, part of me is like, oh, maybe it shouldn't have been this high on the list, you know, whatever. But every time I think of it, like, I have really good, pleasant feelings about it. Like, it's, it was, it it was like a really, just put together really interestingly. I think that's Um, just the Irish accents that makes everybody feel Yeah, no, then then I just just it made me, like, it made me cry at some point, I'm pretty sure, um, you know. And it's uh, it's this just the way that it's put together is really interesting to me, and I love this kind of storytelling where uh, he so what it is is the um, the priest uh, gets a, a death threat uh, while he's doing his confessions, and he knows who made the threat, but we don't know as an audience. So part of it becomes kind of this a mystery that isn't really a mystery where he'll go around to the different people in this small town. I'm not sure where he lives somewhere uh, in Scotland, some small town. Does it, like, reverse dramatic irony? Or Ireland, rather. Um, uh, Yeah, no, they're all Irish. Does it, like, reverse dramatic irony? I apologize for that mistake, huh? So is it, like, reverse dramatic irony? Where the character knows, but we don't know? Dramatic irony is when we know and the character doesn't. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I guess you could put it that way. Cool. Um, But, uh... Yeah, so uh, he knows who made this threat, and he and as he goes around to the different people in his town, just kind of you know talking to them, uh, making any kind of peace with them, like just going through kind of. And part of it is like you kind of get the impression that he does this kind of stuff all the time, but it's also him kind of getting his house in order, as as they say in the film, and trying to to deal with with the fact that somebody is probably going to kill him at the end of the week. Um, and because we don't know who it is, every person becomes a suspect. And that's what really hooked me about this movie is like, as, as you watch it, it kind of dawns, oh my God, it could be that guy. Is it that guy? Is it that lady? Like who, who made this threat? And we know it's a man, but they, they even are a little bit sly about, you know, mm. what, uh, what is it? yeah. They're, they're, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's like a really interesting not mystery. Damn it. And it, it, it should make it feel kind of cheap that he knows and we don't, but it doesn't. Like, it just makes it more interesting, and you kind of forget that, that it's not a mystery for him either. It's just a mystery for us. And I, I just thought that was a really great way to tell this story, which I think otherwise might not even be that, that good without that little, like, almost gimmick, but it doesn't feel gimmicky. Anyway. Um, Calvary, number 10. Also, all those charming accents. All right. Uh, let's read one or so's number nine. His is Frank, a uh, movie by Lenny Abramson. <laughs> uh, and this is the movie where Michael Fassbender performs almost entirely in a ceramic head. Uh, so weird. <laughs> uh, and it's kind of... Uh, well, I should, it's his number nine, not mine, so I should say what he says. It starts odd and quirky, and then deepens considerably from there. The final scene is my favorite ending of the year. And I'll echo, it's a, it's a quirky, touching movie in Michael Fassbender. Great actor. Which one's this? Uh, Frank. Frank. Oh. 
Frank. Like Frank the bunny? Yeah, but the Frank the hipster in a giant head. Is it a bunny head? No, it's just like a dude's head. Oh, okay. Because Frank the bu- Frank the bunny. It's like is. a cartoon head. Yeah, yeah, okay. But Frank the bunny is uh, uh, Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's which is a hipster and a sort of bunny head. Frank the bunny <laughs> is into death metal, I think. Oh, okay. So what's yeah. your number nine then? <laughs> My number nine. All right, haiku time. Unspeakably cool to live forever is to become a hipster. This is the only one I could guess based on the haiku, by the way. <laughs> but 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 there's no uh, there's no. Uh, no mention of nature in the last line. Nature? Who's nature? Haikus. There's no uh, nature in Detroit. There's no nature in Detroit. But, God, this movie sure makes Detroit look spooky and pretty <laughs> and cool. And I, like, I still need to revisit Jim Jarmusch's uh, Only Lovers Left Alive just because it was a complete pleasure to watch. It's uh, phenomenally acted. Tilda Swinton's awesome. Uh, Another one that should be Turtles. on my list. I was actually watching it, and then then I started playing Mortal Kombat instead. Uh, well, because I have Mortal Kombat Ten now. Very good, very good. Um, so yeah, this movie is just like a joy to get wrapped up in the atmosphere of it. It's like it's a vampire story that doesn't skimp out on the fact that vampires are kind of creepy and spooky, but more than anything, they're just brooding and cool. And what it's contemplating is what would it be like if you just lived for a thousand years, like. You were around when Shakespeare was oh, around, and then so you were around boring. when Mozart was around. You've just been you've been there for everything. Rock music isn't anything compared to Beethoven. <laughs> and so, yeah, it just makes such and it makes such great use of these spooky nighttime locations. Like this drive through Detroit is just one of the prettiest things I saw on film all year. Ingvy Malmsteen is no substitute for the real thing. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, don't you know? Everyone. Grab a blood popsicle and check out this movie. I think it might be Jim Jarmusch's best. Easily. Wow. I really like Dead Man, though. And Broken mm. Flowers. Broken Flowers was so strange. His movies are really weird, though. <laughs> well, you know, he just rides around in circles in a parking garage on a bike until he thinks of an idea. And then <laughs> I believe you. Uh, Grandy. What is your number? Wait, nine. ten or nine? Nine. We're nine. Number nine. Well, I put down nine. Selma as my number nine. Another movie I haven't seen, but uh, it's a historical movie, and uh, I've heard from a lot of people that it's uh, excellent. Yeah, my therapist told me to see it. Mm. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so Selma's my number nine. It's funny that that came up in my therapy. She's like, "Have you seen Selma?" Because like I was talking about like authoritative oppression in my childhood and like early uh, adulthood, and she was just like, "Wow, have you seen Selma?" Because uh, there's some stuff that kind of mirrors that sort of thing. I'm like, "Huh? I'm a white guy." In which Rob's <laughs> therapist compared him to the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Not so directly, but anyway, uh, my number nine is. Uh, the uh, uh the quizzically kooky, the uh the outstandingly funny, the uh the um dopeyly charming uh inherent vice, Paul Thomas Anderson's latest effort, uh which you know, first time I watched it I was like, huh? And I watched it again and I was like, Oh and I watched it again and I was like Well, that was just the last half, but now I kinda get what's going on and you know what? I like it. I like it. I dig it. Ah, it's pretty good. It has this sort of um, 
it has a sort of like uh, interesting corollary to current times in terms of the sexual freedom of the late 60s, early 70s. It has L.A. as a character, very much like L.A. as a character in our lives, you know, in Hollywood and stardom and all that is, is a thing like that. It's really hard to describe because it's a really fucking kooky movie. Uh, but I feel that in the same way that uh, uh, Big Lebowski was about the recent past, but also about the time in which it was made, um, and wasn't really recognized for that until several years afterwards, that um, we're probably going to, in about five years, look back on Inherent Vice as a commentary on the 2018s and uh, just the only one that did it in such a way and such a corollary to the, the 70s uh, when we were losing our identity just the same way that the 20 teens and the uh, information age is, is kind of changing our identity as it stands right now. Uh, so I, I, I think it's something to be kept an eye on, and I think everybody's going to love it in like three years. <laughs> anyway, uh, Tess, what's your number? Nine? Are you nine? Number nine? My number nine is Birdman. Um, Weary. Yeah. I really liked Birdman. Um, I will say this. Uh, upon subsequent viewings, and I've seen it like twice and a half now, um, it does lose some of that rewatchability. Like, I, I, I'll say about it that it's not, it's not deeply rewatchable. Um, in large part because uh, I think what, what grabbed me the, when I first saw it is there is that question, is he a superhero? Is this real or is it in his head? And then once you find out, and I think you definitely find out, there's no question as to whether or not he's a superhero. Of course he's not fucking a superhero. He's just some guy. <laughs> um, so, you know, once you find that out, it does lose some of that charm and that, uh, you know, kind of like awe. Uh, and I did feel kind of, you know, in awe. Uh, so you're positing of, that it's very clear of, at the end you know, that he that jumped out the window and died. Yes. Okay. He didn't fly away. I only saw Are you it fucking once, kidding me? <laughs> I didn't see it as being that clear. I, I was unsure. I no. thought that it still had problem. a level it, of that, could be either way. Yeah, that mm -mm. dress room trashing scene makes it unambiguous that yes. he's actually crazy, and yet they end with an ambiguous shot. I agree. I agree. Mm. Uh, no, that scene, that was That's the... But then, but then, like, I'll, I'll say this, that was when it dawned on me that oh, God, he's just a crazy person. And I thought that that reveal was interesting. But, um, you know, because he, he is, he, he's doing the telekinesis thing and throwing but shit but around. But then and why then is his Zach Galifian, like, because he's stupid. Because he's stupid. He hates it. Um, so, you know, and he's, then Zach Galifianski comes in and he's literally throwing his stuff around and he reacts as though he does this all the time. And then you know. Like, then I think that's the moment where you know that this is all happening inside of his head and he has delusions of grandeur and, like, all of this stuff. And um, then then the fact that it keeps going, you know, and you don't know. And I think my, my I saw it with my brother, uh, and he it took him a little bit longer to accept that this was all in his head. And I think you, just you, can, you, can, you can go man. through that scene and see it as not... A very you, if you choose to, you can you can see that as not being 
the reveal that, so that this is... Tess, what you're telling me is you back over your own kid and you just accept. What are you talking about? Nothing. Our, our, our audience will get that, though. Go on. Okay. Um, but Birdman, I, 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 that aside, and I, you know, it sounds like I'm, I'm critiquing it, and I am, but uh, I really, that aside, I really did like Birdman. I think the, um, the, uh, that long shot, the, or not the long shot, the, uh, the long take look of it was incredible, really well executed. It felt like being behind, like, backstage in a theater where everything is happening, like, during this show. There's very few points during which there are time lapses, and even those are done as though it is a, a long take. Um, so I don't know how many cuts there actually were, but it looks seamless. And that's probably the thing that I like the best about it, is just how amazing the cinematography was. You got some good performances in there. Um, the script wasn't great, but, you know, that would be its weakest thing, which is sad. But, uh, you know, I, for, for all, of, there was a lot of technical things that were kind of amazing about it. And you do, you do get a few really good performances from people. I thought Edward Norton was very funny. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's uh, just cool. And I cut my, and my other critique is I wish it had been called Batman. I wish they had just gone for it and had him be playing himself and just called it Batman and the unexpected virtue of ignorance. <laughs> All right. Done. So <laughs> moving on back to the, uh, the lightning round that we're doing. Uh, uh, Brady, what's your number eight? Oh, our first one so is number right. eight. Uh, it's the Lego movie for one so. He says, not in the same league as Toy Story, but a fun look at the power of imagination and creativity. And I agree. Okay, number eight for me, Haiku. Icy and tender, Kubrick just made Predator, and it's beautiful. Uh, this one I need to see again. In fact, with uh, Lovers Left Alive, uh, that and my number eight, Under the Skin, are the two that I've only seen once, and I need to watch again. This one uh, was very confusing me, for me coming out of it, because in a lot of ways, it was an unpleasant experience. Which and, movie? Uh, Under the Skin. Oh, okay. And rightly so, I think. But what makes it uh, a great movie and makes it kind of evolve for me is that there are messages in it that, while not being sentimental, at least make it more human. Because it's kind of about this alien life force that at first is just devouring everything. But it's her kind of looking at, like, well, what are human beings? And, like, what do human beings do? And, you know, she's walking through a mall... Or just uh, that scene, the really moving scene of her looking at the guy with the deformity. And so it's kind of like this outsider's perspective on human, human beings. And yeah, just really interesting. And just also just one of the most creepy, well-made, well-shot uh, sci-fi movies I've mm -hmm. seen in a while. So yeah, it's just, it's just such its own unusual beast. And it, I had to think about it for a long time, which is a good thing. So yeah, Under the Skin, number eight. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Grandy, what's your number eight? Uh, my number eight is The Babadook, which I have not seen, but I have a huge appreciation for a good scary movie, and from what I understand from a lot of people, this is actually a scary movie mm -hmm. instead of a stupid movie trying <laughs> to be scary. Um, and thus, uh, yeah, The Babadook is my number eight. All right, I'm just going to list uh, my number eight is Guardians of the Galaxy. I know what's going to get talked about, and in the interest of saving time, of which... We only have 10 minutes, and I know we're going to go over. Uh, I'll go ahead and kick it on to Tess for her number eight. 
My number eight is Snowpiercer. I saw this at a movie Ooh, theater where you can drink in it, and I had such a good time. I'm, like, really excited. This movie is, like, so funny, and I'm not sure if it's supposed to be funny. Like, there's... But that, that kind of made it great for me. It's like everyone in the theater is drunk. Everyone is, like, kind of cracking up. It ha like, And you go in not expecting it to be funny. Like, the way that it's described is, like, you think that it's going to be really serious, and I'm not sure if it was supposed to be or not still. I've seen it twice I think it was now. pretty serious. It's just kind of over and the top, it, so it comes yeah, off funny. So, like, but if you silly. really just get into it and just let it go, it's, it's not funny at all, you but, know? But, like, I was really into it. Let me be clear. I was, like, so into it, and I still was laughing my ass off. Like, I appreciate the story that it's telling, but it's also really funny. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of like a Sukiyaki Western Django sort of mentality to it, you know? Uh, but what's her name? The woman that was creepy as fuck in this? Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton in the weirdest role I have yet seen her in. So bizarre. And I heard I that so. the I part was so. originally written for a man, and they like left all the all of that in so that people call him he. I think I'm not sure if that's true, but yeah, I, I think, think I'll I be doing that with that. with my screenplay because uh, I'm writing. Yeah. You're probably gonna play me, but yeah. you're just gonna be a boy. <laughs> awesome. Um. So uh, anyway, yeah, Snowpiercer was so great. I want to just watch it all the time. It's so silly. It's like orf orphan orphan heart. It's like an episode of the Venture Brothers. It's ridiculous. All right, okay. Brady, your number eight. Uh, one SO's number seven. Oh wait, number yeah, yeah. Uh, which is also Snowpiercer. He says each new train car was its own Snow movie. Piercer. Yeah. Each new train car was its own movie. A truly unpredictable genre bender. And Tilda Swinton was her usual awesome. <laughs> so awesome. I I think that's a really fun movie too. And I'm more with Tess than with Rob, but I think it's meant to be taken both ways. Mm -hmm. uh, it does not care if it's funny because it's still yeah. horrified. No, it's just it's kind of one of those genres where it can just be over the top. And if mm -hmm. you want to look at it as over the top, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I admired its big old balls. For yeah. that. Yes! <laughs> big okay. old train balls. No, Pierce have got some big old balls. Oh, yeah. yeah! All right, let's get to my number seven. Uh, this is, honestly, at this point... I mean, that, that's not fair because I love Under the Skin and I love uh, Only Lovers and all my other movies too. But at this point, I think my seven is like my core. And so I'm proud to include this movie, uh, Perfectionism Channeled Through Acting and Sound, Ambition Deafens. Uh, and that is Whiplash, which uh, a very deserving Oscar win for J.K. Simmons, beloved character actor. Hell yeah. I think m people are going to know what this movie is about, but I'll just briefly say it's about... Oh yeah the kind of duet between a, an incoming jazz drummer at a prestigious Berkeley music-style academy and his relationship with a quasi-abusive mentor who is always trying to drive him to be better and better. Uh, and this movie is phenomenally acted, but what really makes it go is the drumming. It's just, what I like about it is it kind of is the sound of what it's like to be ambitious and completely perfectionist and to never think you're good enough. It's just, it's what driving ambition kind of sounds like. And without giving anything away, I think it might be the best ending of the damn year. So it's got that in its quiver. And yeah, this thing is just a ton of fun to watch and really well acted and thoughtful. So check out Whiplash. Ah, my number seven is Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and I thought that that movie was uh, really hokey. <laughs> um, but 
I give it a number seven spot because it is a comic book movie. And uh, even though I, I haven't read the comic book, so it probably is pretty close to what the actual comics were like in terms of the characters. Um, and that raccoon was awesome. Mostly because he's a raccoon. Uh, and yes, Guardians of the Galaxy, my number seven. So my number seven is Under the Skin, which we've talked a little bit about. Um, the cool thing that I like about this is it shows her... She starts off as the alien, the unfeeling alien who's, who's crazy, murderous, ruthless. And she's just carrying out her mission. But as, as she has to uh, change herself and disguise herself more to become the thing that is capable of doing the task that she has been set to do, she becomes more human. And then as she becomes human, um, the real monster turns out to be, well, I mean, a monster turns out to be another human. And it's like, yeah, you can be a monster or you could be a human. But then once you are somewhere in between, you must be destroyed. And I, I feel like that, that that movie really drives that point home. And it, it, it's got some just notes about... Uh, gender bias or j just the fact that we're only good as, at humans as having uh you know dualities we can only do one or the other and if it if it's more complicated than that it's like okay let's split those two into two we can't deal with anything being in between uh in the third it's always got to be a binary we can't do a trinary hell we make computers and shit and we wrote binary code because we can't deal with trinary I mean, trinary would be way more efficient or how about quadrary but no, binary, because that's the only fucking thing we can deal with. <laughs> and that's what this movie explores. <laughs> and uh, so it's my number seven, Tess. All right. Uh, my number seven. Um, wait, that's, yeah, because I'm last. Um, my number seven is Citizen Four. Um, Brady mainly spoke, uh, you know, a lot about what, what I would already have to say. Um, it's uh, really chilling spy movie about real life and what is actually happening right now in America. Um, however, um, I did want to uh, kind of add uh, one thing that I thought was interesting about it um, is that Snowden uh, is such a, a huge and interesting personality that even though he specifically requests at some point in the film that... Uh, you know, this not become about him. What is? How does he phrase that? He phrases it in a in a good way. He just says basically, I don't want this That's to be about me. Uh, yeah, like the a, media is centered on personalities. Yeah. They make right. stories about the human being. Yeah. And so I don't want you to ask me questions about me. I want right. you to ask questions about what's going on and what information I'm revealing and why I'm doing it in this way. Which, even though they do, they. You know, you can you can see that that's the attempt is being made there. He's such he's such an interesting, cool guy <laughs> that like you can't help but see it that way. Is like, wow, Snowden, I would have a beer with you, man. Like, you know, he seems like a really cool dude, and that shines through this desire to not present it that way. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was like really interesting underneath um, the the additional just bone chilling factor of like, oh my God, we're being spied on. What if there was, you know, a regime change? <laughs> yeah. And furthermore, um, in relation to Citizen Four, when we talk about all these things, I think another um, thing that should be pointed out to our listeners for uh, something that's going on is um, there's now a documentary coming out in this next month about Ross Ulbricht, the uh, 
the um the supposed to be blah 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 uh, dread pirate roberts who got arrested for running the silk road and so, so forth and so on that movie will be coming out i think in about two weeks it's called deep web and it very much goes into uh expanding a lot of the things that the the snowden movie citizen four talks about uh anyway i uh, just wanted to tack that in there because i listened to a podcast with the creator for two and a half hours yesterday so i don't understand i can't <laughs> so brady what is your number six the creator or what is uh so1's number six first? all right one so's number six is big hero six <laughs> much better than the other five big heroes which this is why is it won the citizen four well, <laughs> yes which is why it won the animated oscar um, he says, I admit this goes into superhero autopilot toward the end, but with Baymax, John Lasseter has created his Totoro. Well said. I still need to see that movie. Yeah, I want to see that. Uh, okay, so my number six. An old fairy tale, psycho-realistic myth, humane and gutting. And erba, erba. Erba, erba. And that is uh, <laughs> from Studio Ghibli, Iseo Takahata's my, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. Rob, you have something to say? Yeah, no, it's just nodding. Oh, uh, you're just nodding, Kaguya. okay. Um, the Tale of the Princess Kaguya from the same man who made the equally beautiful and probably more gutting mm. Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> uh, if you want to have a good cry, watch that movie. Fantastic movie. Uh, so, yeah, this is basically based on an old Japanese fairy tale. It's the story of a, a bamboo cutter who finds a tiny princess in a stock of bamboo he cuts. Like and raises. Yeah, she's actually tiny. She fits in his hand. And he raises so her up So she's like a Polly Pocket. Yeah. And he, he turns into a baby at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she's, you know, beautiful and magical. And so he decides, oh, of course, like, this is my ticket to becoming something. Like, she's a princess. She's goddamn gorgeous and she's magical. So, of course, she's a princess. And it's kind of this, really, this pull between, well, she doesn't really want to be that. She wants to be out in nature and so it is kind of this old fairy tale about materialism versus the natural mm -hmm. world. Uh, but it's got, like, what really struck me is it has this depth of character detail. So it would be like, you know, if you w watched a version of Cinderella that, like, really paid specific attention to developing each character. Uh, that's what I mean by psychorealism. And also it just has this really interesting way of changing its style. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it resembles old paintings. Sometimes it's something you might see on, like, a Japanese mural or a scroll, and it plays with that, and it's just really, really beautiful and kind of sad, but in a way that makes you, in a positive way that makes you think about, you know, what's most important in life. And fantastic voice performance from <laughs> from the por por oh the woodcutter, Japanese Homer Simpson. I echo that. <laughs> you 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 came up with that. I, that I came up with it, and I'll I'll <laughs> spit my echo back. All right, Brandy, what is your number six? Oh, my number six of the year was uh, the Lego movie. I thought my first viewing of it was excellent. It had me laughing the whole time. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a super fun movie. I think one of the best animated ones of the year. And according to my list, it was the best animated one of the year. So, yeah, Lego movie, my number six. <laughs> okay, so my number six was uh, the uh, emotionally restrained, um, silently loud, 
um, effeminately masculine, <laughs> most violent year, uh, which quantifies the um, the trials and tribulations of a a man who runs uh, an oil empire. Uh, also had his dealings uh, with the mob, basically other uh, people. Well, he he hasn't had dealings with the mob, but his wife has, and. Um, it's basically his quest to be pure in the face of uh, possibly doing dirty business practices. And he has a wife who's kind of... And so, I mean, he's very defensive and very much doesn't want a gun in his house. He doesn't want his children in danger. He doesn't want to stoop to doing uh, bad, illegal things. Um, and then meanwhile, he has a wife who kind of plays like a Lady Macbeth kind of character yeah. who uh, embodies masculinity and more of like the... You gotta be strong. You gotta get things done. You gotta you gotta fucking cheat and steal when you can because, you know, it's the only way to win. And it's exactly what he didn't want to be. And he 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 basically that word I'm not supposed to use. Essentially, he finds <laughs> that she, you know, has kind of contrived his and forced his hand into a certain position, and uh, has to accept the dichotomy of his company, which is run by him and her and their husband and wife, and it's just, you know, the weight of one and the weight of the other has to balance out the scales of justice and the uh, scales of what you can do. And it's just this, this incredibly long, plotting, slow sort of, you know, rise to a boiling point and fall to basically back to the beginning um, by the end of it. And it, it's, it just kind of illustrates how life is. It goes cyclical, and you can try all you want, but... You don't really have that much control over it. So anyway, most violent year, my number six. Uh, moving on to Tess's number, number six. six. Um, my number six is Only Lovers Left Alive. Um, I know we, we talked about this one before, but uh, so I don't have that much to add. But it is, uh, it, it's just, I don't know. I've, I, Tom Hiddleston was so sexy in this. They were just like the sexiest fucking hipsters. Being a vampire must be the coolest, most romantic hipster thing. Oh my god, so emo. Um, but yeah, there's like a really, I don't know, it's just, it's dark, but it's, it's interesting and brooding and um, real, real sexy. Yeah. Okay, that's all I gotta say. Only lovers left alive. Woo! Oh yeah. Alright. 1SO has <laughs> the Grand Budapest. Hotel at number five. He says, the greatest art direction of all time? The story is really good, too. So, uh, good choice, I say. And on to my number five. The family unit climbs naked and embarrassed from an avalanche. Uh, that force majeure. That would, of course, be Swedish force majeure. Yeah, while we're talking about Oscar snubs, total injustice that that wasn't nominated for foreign. Uh, uh, Ida's a great movie. Uh, this is better than Ida, I would say. Uh, Force Majeure is kind of an interesting counterpoint to another movie I'd encourage people to check out, which was uh, 2012's uh, The Loneliest Planet uh, with Gail Garcia Bernal. Anyway, this is kind of a very interesting look at kind of uh, family dynamics and kind of, yeah, roles of masculinity, what it means to be a provider, and kind of the roles that we have for each other in terms of being courageous, being a selfless figure. And it, it has that, but it's more humorous than The Loneliest Planet was because uh, it's 
underneath it all, I think what makes it really great is it's kind of funny. Like, by the end of it, it's gone to really serious territory, but it's more mocking than damning. I mean, it's, it's saying that we all kind of have these fake shells that we put on in terms of our family life. And by we the all end of it, wear masks, uh, metaphorically is, yeah, speaking. Which is what I mean when I say they climb naked out of the avalanche. Like, by the end of it, it's like the entire family unit. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to spoil the movie, but I might have to just point out something that Spoiler happens late podcast. in it because it's just such a perfect example. Uh, while they're walking down a road together, you know, and the father at this point has been completely cuckolded and embarrassed and had to accept that he well, fled his family. But emasculated. Yeah, yeah, he's been emasculated. And finally, they're walking down a road at one point, and he looks to a guy next to him. He's like, you have a cigarette? And his son's standing next to him. He's like, Dad, you smoke? He's like, yes, I do. <laughs> like, you're, you're seeing me now. Like, it's, it's about the family being totally exposed. But at the end of it, it doesn't tear everything apart. It just says, like, this is the way things are. And so I think it's really interesting. It's also beautifully shot. You, uh, like, I've already used the word Kubrickian for under the skin. This movie's Kubrickian, too, to me. Long run to the bathroom test? You seem kind of out of breath. Huh? <laughs> Force majeure! Climbing over the furniture. Ah, yes. Long climb to the, the microphone spot? Yes. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on to Bra- uh, Grandy's number five. Huh? Oh, my number five is the highest rated movie of the year that I have not seen um, <laughs> the list, which is Boyhood. Um, which, that movie, I, I love the premise and how it was filmed over uh, the 10 or 15 years. Um, that's right. You didn't come with us that night. We thought with George, huh? Yeah, that's one of the movies that I have not seen for the year. Um, but yeah, it becomes super highly rated by a lot of people, and uh, a lot of the negative things I've heard about it, um, to me, almost seem like there are positive things about it. Um, and yes, number five, another one I plan to see. The perception of an identity is is an interesting thing, especially when in terms of viewing a film character. Uh, when a film is able to make a character that unfolds and basically shows you their true colors by the end of it, um, although having been it the entire time, it's quite a magical thing. This is what happens in the film Nightcrawler, which mm. uh, is my number five. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal does an excellent job of playing a character who, while at the beginning we know that he's kind of a loner, kind of not connected to anybody, we don't realize that he's not really interested in being connected to anybody. He's a sociopath. doesn't really give a shit about anybody and doesn't have feelings for anybody. And all that matters is his business, his personal growth, and his onward uh, plod into the, you know, deepest and darkest recesses of humankind. Uh, not only is he a sociopath, he is able to basically bring out, God damn that word, um, essentially bring out um, sociopathic tendencies in other people, you know, just by, by following um, the profit motive of capitalism or, you know, just the sensationalism of the markets, which is um, it's kind of an underlying current also made in this film. So that's why it's my number five, Nightcrawler, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, independent-ish film, right, Brady, made... Uh, yeah, made by Dan Gilroy, brother of Tony Gilroy, who made Michael Clayton. Yeah, I can always count on Brady for that kind of stuff. So, Tess, what's your number five? Jodorowsky's Dune. Um, I think, is this, oh, this is uh, actually higher on my list than Citizen Four, the other uh, 
um, documentary that made the list. I've seen a lot of documentaries this year. I was uh, kind of sad that Monica Mana, did, there wasn't room on my list for it. Kind of um, a golden age of documentaries in the past yeah, few years. there's been a lot of good ones. Yeah, um, good time. Jodorowsky's Dune makes my number five just because I had such a good time watching it. Like, this guy is such a huge character um, that, you know, and it makes you long for, for you know, the, for this movie to exist. That, that why, why don't we have this movie? Dear God, like, you see a lot of the uh, um, storyboards that they, uh, that they made animatics of so you can kind of get an idea of what this movie was going to look like. And it's so amazing. Like, Geiger did a bunch of the uh, a bunch of the set designs, and, like, all of this stuff is just the... It would have been the coolest movie, and it makes me so sad that it doesn't exist, but then also watching just everyone look back on it and talk about it, like, it looked like it was a really fun time, and you have a fun time watching it. But I also, you know, long to have a to have this movie to exist. Um, it would have been so good. Anyway, but this movie's great. Yeah, no, I'll just echo. That's <laughs> that's uh, one of the best times I've had at the theater. Oh, it was so fun. Like, it didn't quite make my list, but would have been in my top 25. And one of the funniest moments, because it's just like almost this vision quest. Like, we yeah. had Holy Mountain on our podcast, so we know this guy's like kind of a crazy, yeah. like, now you must go to your vision. Pull <laughs> And so, yeah. like, the actual casting of the movie is like that, too, where he's, like, seeking out Salvador Dali. But yeah. then the funniest, most concise is he just sees Mick Jagger across a crowded room, and Mick Jagger slowly walks up to him, <laughs> and he's like, will you be in my movie? And Mick Jagger's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> my, one of my favorite parts in that, too, was when he, uh, I don't remember who's telling the story, but it's like, they get really high. Like, they smoke this weed, and they're so high. And then all of a sudden, Jodor Jodorowsky goes, like that! And then all of this light, like, comes bursting out of his head. <laughs> like, he had this psychic connection with the guy. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's, like, really right. funny. It makes me appreciate, like, Holy Mountain more, now that I've seen the man who made it. Right on. Okay. Well, let's cruise along to Cruising. Brady's number, or uh, 1SO's number four. One of those number four. Okay. It is Captain America the Winter Soldier. He says, I'm not a rabid fan of the Marvel films, but this was a major step in the right direction, successfully besting all other Marvel films with exciting scenes of urban warfare. The Empire Strikes Back of that franchise. Hmm. Well I said. I see that. Yeah, I need to see Damn. that too. Okay, uh, my number four. I, I said it. Uh, a perfect horror, not because it stabs and shrieks, but because it weeps. And yeah, like, I think The Babadook is going to be the high watermark for horror films, and hopefully the banner in what will hopefully be a, a horror renaissance. Yeah. Uh, what I loved about it is it's completely terrifying, and it's like psychologically makes sense. So as you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is tying into really interesting themes of grief and alienation, and kind of that feeling that every parent occasionally will talk about if you feed him enough wine, which is where you just want to kill that kid. Like, <laughs> I don't love him. I just want to murder him in his sleep, fucking kid. And so those are interesting ideas that I think Taffy society subjects. needs to tackle more uh, because, you know, there's a lot of guilt surrounding parenting where it's like, is it bad that I feel, like, completely insane by this kid? And so there's that, but also just what works is I love being enveloped in a feeling where I was not only scared, 
but there was kind of almost this like rich, mournful quality to it. Mm-hmm. So I like I was scared, and it, in the same breath, I was sad. Like I, but in like a really interesting, rich way. You just you get taken into this woman's psyche so well, and that performance is phenomenal. Should have easily made the best actress field this year, Essie Davis. And so yeah, the, the Babadook is terrific, and it produced the greatest prop of the year, the Babadook book. Tess and I have oh. almost toyed with buying it. It's kind we of expensive. We could still buy it. It's, it's like, like 80, 80 bucks. bucks. <laughs> it's but pr- it's really I, cool. And I would be really uncomfortable having it in my house. Like, also. <laughs> yeah, you have to buy it to keep it somebody else's house. I know. Yeah, and and I, uh, one of my favorite things <laughs> here, is Rob, that, So the website. Have a Babadook. I swear to God, like, the website selling the Babadook book, it looks like I wrote it. And one, one of the jokes in it that just killed me was, like, it makes a great gift for the for the parent, or for the parents of children, oh no, for the children of parents you hate. <laughs> I fucked mm. up that joke, but it makes a great gift for the uh, for the children of parents you hate. Okay, Grandy, <laughs> what's your number? Uh, My number four is Birdman. Um, that movie, I didn't get super attached to any of the characters, mm. but it was really cool looking, and I liked how it the, the uh, like the one shot thing they did. And uh, getting into like the behind the scenes of like putting on a play. Right so on. Yeah, number four. Okay, so I'm kind of fucked for time because I'm putting on a barbecue and I gotta uh, get moving on that. So what I'm gonna do is gonna hand over the announcing to the capable hands of Brady, and I'm gonna run through my four through one very quickly. Uh, my number four is Boyhood. I'm not gonna say too much about that because Brady's going to cover it. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Excellent film, very slow plotting. Um, if you remove the gimmick, a lot of people would say there's not a whole lot to it. But the thing is, is that the gimmick is the point. The mm-hmm. idea that you can show a person's life throughout the years and, and let the kind of the generational times pass wash over you and color your experience and color your writing, that is the point, all right? People go like, well, if it, if it wasn't done over 12 years, nobody would have noticed. I'm like... No, but it's the fact it that they was. did that made it what it was, and that's why it is that. Like, you can't just divorce it from that and be like, well, it's a gimmick, so I'm not going to yeah, count it without the. Uh, anyway, um, my number three is an awesome movie about identity called Blue Ruin. Um, Blue Ruin uh, explores the idea that your past and, and who you are and uh, what has generated you in, in your childhood or your, your younger adult life is who you are and that as much as you might try to change it or as much as you might try to abrupt it or abruptly uh here's the word i'm looking for disrupt it you cannot um it it puts you on a path that while you might be able to veer one way or the other on this river that uh your past has brought you to um you're really just the twig with the with the child running behind it watching to see how far it'll go before it runs down the drain uh, my second is um, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, it's my number two. It's one of my favorite of Wes Anderson's movies. I love the nesting China doll plot about how stories are told and stories are told and stories are heard and stories are told um, to the point where they become timeless. Uh, the place doesn't have to exist except in your mind. The time doesn't have to exist except in the collective experience of all the people who have been told stories of that time and um, just how it's colored by being spoken to you is able to create an entire world anew 
despite the fact that you were never there to experience it in the first place. And my number one is um, Whiplash, which, I mean, come on, J.K. Simmons in a tight black t-shirt. That guy is <laughs> fucking almost 70, and he bulked up to be super intimidating for that film. <laughs> like, when you see him just standing there going, mm, not my tempo. But he can switch between that and go on to, I mean, really, that movie is Simmons' showcase. Uh, I think Miles Teller was probably nominated. No, no, he wasn't. No, okay, well, good because it like good. it's kind of funny <laughs> that Simmons Fuck won that a Best Supporting Actor because he was almost the the actor in that I know. movie. No, yeah, but they I do mean, that all the time. yeah, they do that all the time because of the way it's written, so forth and so on. But um, just the idea of, of the way that was put, and it wasn't necessarily realistic because a lot of people I know who have gone to jazz school say like, no, he should be going to jam sessions. He shouldn't be sitting in a fucking ISO booth by himself trying to like drum as fast as he possibly could. Uh, so it's not really about that, though. It's about the characterization of a mentor and, and uh, how they're able to kind of control everything around them, but it's very difficult to direct that into a uh, positive force uh, without being an absolute maniac. Yeah. So anyway, uh, sorry to have to splurge that across for you guys, but I, I really got to go prepare the burgers and uh, kill some beers. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I'm sure the the listening populace won't appreciate it that much, but uh, the rest of the people on the cast will enjoy the beer. You can just fix it in post, man. Yes. Quite right. Um, anyway, go on, and uh, so I'm going to set up my birthday. Where are we Yeah, we're, you're on uh, Tess. Oh. Tess, you're doing your... Uh, number four. Your number, number four, four, and okay. then you go on from there. Okay. So my number four is We Are The Best! Um, this movie, Brady was, when, after he saw it, had, had repeatedly tried to get me to watch it and, uh, kept referring it to, it, uh, referring to it as a movie that was basically made for me, <laughs> and he was not wrong. Um, it was so funny. Like, I, I think I was just laughing constantly at this, and, um, the, the, the characterization of these little girls was just, like, so charming and so funny, and, um, really, you, Brady had referred to it as, like, some of the best child performances, um, and that's absolutely right. There's a huge depth of characters, it's like, and you kind of know these girls, like, I feel like, you know, having been in junior high, I'm like, yeah, um, I know that girl, I might have been one of them, um, <laughs> you know, there, because there's the, the one that's, uh, you know, uh, kind of really pushy. And you kind of know her, that girl that always gets her way, and, uh, you know, the, the main girl, the one that, that's the wife, I think, uh, she was, oh, she right. was a friend yeah. of her, of the, of the pushy girl that's like, no, I get to play the guitar. You don't get to play the guitar, I'm yeah, going to play the guitar, <laughs> you get to drum because I don't care to drum, you know, and she always, she takes her boyfriend and, like, just always gets, always get what she wants. And it's just like such a, th- but they're still friends, you know, they still love each other, they, 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 they have each other in punk, punk is not dead, um, <laughs> the songs are really funny, and you actually see them get better, and they, they befriend the, this other girl who becomes punk, and they cut her hair, and she kind of like, doesn't fit in right away, but then gets, you know, gets to be good friends with them, and is actually a good musician, and kind of teaches them to, to really play, and sort of <laughs> and they they are the best <laughs> anyway 
Hate the sport! I, excited, I just excitedly told you the plot. No, <laughs> I didn't say anything about the plot. Anywho, that was my number four. We are the best! <laughs> okay, uh, 1SO's number three, Life Itself. A warm tribute to one of the most influential people of my life. Uh, another great documentary. Good choice. That one. Yeah, uh, that didn't make my list either. It made my number twenty, uh, and I was happy to put it there. Okay, my number three, a period piece with insight and character beneath each brushstroke. Now, this is the one that I'm going to come up the most short on, exactly describing why it's so good, and yet I've got this sense that it's, this movie is greater than people are even realizing right now, and that's Mike Lee's beautiful Mr. Turner. Easily one of the best period pieces I've ever seen, to the point that period piece is almost—it's almost a decoration because mm -hmm. he's—he's he's put complete care into making this thing look exactly like uh, what is it, like 1870s England, probably. Yeah. And so it's the life story of J. M. W. Turner, the most probably the most famous British painter to ever live, and so it's this perfectly observed character study of this man. It kind of goes back to what I was saying with uh, listen up, Philip. We're kind of interested in this divide between a great artist and who they are as a person. Yeah. And so you've got kind of this gruff, inarticulate, kind of a very blue-collar guy, just a normal guy who happens to be a very great painter. And so it's... it's Sexist. I think, yeah, it's... Huge misogynist. He's, he's a bit of a misogynist. And the, the movie plays as completely realistic. But what's cool about it, and this is kind of... Uh, I'll tie this to what I was saying with uh, Tale of Princess Kaguya is it's got psychorealism, but it completely makes the actual way the film looks just beautiful and gorgeous. So it's psychorealism inside of a, a prism where we don't normally see it. Normally a handsome period piece is just, you know, walking, watching people walk around, having airs. This is what the time period looked like. <laughs> but Lee kind of infuses it with realism and a perfect acting performance. My favorite lead acting performance of the year by Timothy Spall. Another crime that it wasn't nominated. And it's kind of, I think, Mike Lee looking at himself, too, kind of asking questions about what it means to be an artist and kind of what it also means to, to uh, yeah, be a human being. And so, yeah, this one, I think, is going to age really nicely. But it's my number three, Mr. Turner. Uh, well, my number three was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Hmm. Um, and I had really high expectations for this movie because the previous one was so awesome. Um, and this one surpassed them by uh, by a solid amount, um, <laughs> and I'm definitely looking forward to the next one, and I've I hope they meet my expectations again. Uh, so yeah, number three, Dawn of Planet of the Apes. I really need to see that. It's so really good. I got the whole say, trilogy. You should just uh, every time anybody mentions the the Planet of the Apes movies, I just always think now of Adam's stand up where he tells <laughs> Planet of the Apes. <laughs> that was like so good. Um, all right, uh, <laughs> where are we? Number three. Yeah. My number three is the Babadook. Um, we set, we talked a lot about this. There's even a podcast on it. This movie, uh, I, I woke up from a nightmare uh, a few nights ago from a movie I saw months ago. And I haven't had a nightmare about a scary movie since I was like seven. This, th 
I'm still like, uh, so our house, I have to, if you want to like go into the main house at night to use the bathroom or whatever, you've got to go outside um, from our room. So I, like, I was too afraid to like get up and go inside. And like, I, I had, uh, Brady had to like escort me in. I was so shaken by this nightmare. Um, of this movie that, you know, still I, uh, I'm, when I get to thinking about it and it like keeps me up at night, like it's so, it really, really legitimately terrified me. Um, and so, and so it's my number three. Um, like this movie is some evil shit. <laughs> that's, that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, if I can quickly go back, because I can't resist another dig at Birdman. Ka-cha! Uh, Mr. Turner, also the best cinematography of the year, with due respect to Emmanuel motherfucking god Lubeski and his beautiful work on Birdman. Very kinetic. But if cinematography is about, I can pick a shot at any various time and frame that on my wall, Mr. Turner wins, hands down. Hmm. Okay, so on to number two, 1SO. Uh, he has Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Good showing for Dawn. Uh, I also recommend this movie highly. Fucking motion capture acting. Obviously, Andy Serkis shows up really well. But also this guy, Toby Kebbell, who plays the bad guy. Great villain performance. Really cool. Cool. Anyway, uh, he says about it, The Ape Saga is shaping up to be the smartest blockbuster franchise of all time. Epic and emotional scope with cutting-edge special effects. Well said. Okay, my number two, <clears throat> now this is probably my most pretentious haiku, but it's because I want to get at something that I feel isn't being said enough about this beautiful, fun, madcap film. Uh, so my haiku is, once upon a time, many millions were murdered, and so I create. And that would be the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, which is easily, I would say, the most fun movie of the year in terms of its comedy and just how kinetic it is. It's it's like a beautiful roller coaster through a museum almost. Hmm. Like, uh, and through an idea of what you know, pre-World War II Europe might have looked like. So it's gorgeous. Uh, Ray Fiennes also should have been nominated. Yeah. Perfect comedic performance. I I've never known that swearing could sound so <laughs> Like, oh, fucking hell. Like, it, it's just the, the best comedic performance I've seen in, in quite some time. I, but what's underneath it and what makes it really deep to me and at this point I'm on the verge of calling it Wes Anderson's best movie yeah. is that what it's really about is this idea of kind of the limits of like what does art mean like does it amount to a hill of beans you know just this little thing this little concoction which is kind of specific to Wes Anderson himself where his critics say like oh you've just made this kind of handsome cute delicate little thing but like what's the what's the fucking point of it all and so Anderson's answer is, well, think of in the face of, you know, uh, World War II, think of in the face of the Holocaust, where we have entire moments where people and societies and cultures are just washed away with just one stroke of inhumanity. And he even dedicates it to this uh, Jewish author who, you know, ended up killing himself because of World War II. And so it's kind of this look at, like, <laughs> what's the value of a pretty pointless thing? in the face of history. And it kind of comes at this area of like agreeing that like maybe it doesn't mean much, but at the same time saying that maybe it's all we have are just these beautiful little baubles we make for ourselves. 
and that like that's what you sh we should focus on uh, because you know a lot of the rest of human history is is a lot of barbarism and so it, it adds this extra heft and meaning and yet you can still watch it you know kind of like what uh, Rob I believe was saying about the Babadook you can watch this movie just for fun just for the kinetic thrill of watching Fine's brilliant acting performance or watching all the colors or just the really cool <laughs> cinematography but it also has this this really interesting meaning about uh, about why we value art at all. It's a delicate little cake. Yeah, delicate cake. Okay. Aww. Sorry, that came off long-winded. No. No, not at all. All right, uh, my number two is uh, Monica Mana, uh, mm. which is a real simple movie, uh, if you'd even really call it a movie, uh, about a tram that goes up and back from some uh, temple way up in the mountains somewhere in Asia. Um, and it's just the little camera in one of the trams that is uh, shooting video of the people as they go up and as they go back, and nothing else. Uh, this is a bundle of different people that are taking different rides, and uh, it's a really mesmerizing movie. And even though the not, not a lot was said, I think a lot was said um, just by their subtle interactions with each other. I thought it was really brilliant, uh, so definitely worth the watch. Uh, Monica Mana, my number two. Right on. All right, I like that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sad it didn't make my list, but I'm. Me yeah. too. That was really, like really the most peaceful movie. experience yeah. I had. So with zen. The movie this year. Um, so my number two. Everything is awesome. My number two is Lego Movie. Um, a, a running theme here for me. I laughed so much. Um, this movie is so funny. Um, as Brady pointed out, it's, uh, it's got a really nice relationship between, um, uh, sort of working as a team and also being an individual and, um, the importance of both. Uh, and I think it, it says that really well and it's a good, it's a good lesson to teach kids and also to remind adults. Um, and the song is great. That fucking song, man. <laughs> um, and yeah, Chris Pratt, very funny. Uh, Batman is a bro douchey bro guy. Like, great. <laughs> um, yeah, there's nothing about this. There's nothing wrong with this movie. It's a perfect film. <laughs> and it teaches us the number one law of the sea, which is important. Uh, the number one law of the sea is never put your backside on a pirate's face. Oh. Remember that. And kids. I really want the I want the uh, I want spaceship. I want spaceship guy and the core from Portal Two to like be friends. Space. I'm in space. Spaceship. Spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> Unikitty uh, doing her best Pinkie Pie impression. It's all great. It's all perfect. I, I have not a bad thing to say about Lego Movie. Okay, so that brings us to number one. One uh, SO's number one makes this interesting. I wouldn't have seen this movie being on two number ones this year. Uh, we recently did it for the podcast, and I think it's a real cool movie myself. That's Blue Rune. He says, an indie film with as much stomach-turning suspense as No Country for Old Men. Hmm. And yeah, uh, it's always good to have kind of a new talent, too. This guy... Add him to the list of filmmakers pretty much making their first or second film this year. And uh, that's what you want for the future, because some of those seeds are going to grow up into big, tall trees, maybe be our next great filmmaker. So that's cool. Okay, my number one. 
which should be no secret to anyone. Uh, but Birdman? I, I wrote... Uh, <laughs> Birdman, no. Um, <laughs> I wrote, it loves narrative, yet gently shoves it aside. All just passing time. And, yeah, I, like, with due respect to any of the other films, yes, this one, for me, is number one with a bullet. Uh, and, you know, I find it funny that all this talk from its critics have come down to gimmick, like, oh, what would boyhood be without the gimmick? You know, what happens if you take away the 12 years? A, as Rob absolutely astutely said, mm-hmm. why? Uh, unless you're looking to poke holes in the film, why remove the gimmick? in the first place, especially when it's so thematically tied. The movie is really about what the passage of time feels like, Mm -hmm. the way time can kind of undulate. And, you know, as I wrote in my review for Monica Mana, it kind of makes the films partners with each other, this very interesting idea of just getting very peacefully immersed by time. And so there's that part of it, which is why would you remove the gimmick at all? But the funnier thing is gimmick is a really funny film for funny film, a really funny term for a film that also gets criticized for not enough happening. Yeah. Uh, so, like, if it were really gimmicky, I feel like, you know, because what really makes this film interesting is that it actually defies gimmickry. Like, what it's about is, yeah, life is full of moments, and it's really interested in watching the things these characters go through, but it's not as simple as, like, oh, what are the big moments in my life? This birthday, graduation, you know, first bicycle ride. We don't see a lot of that because it's recognizing that life is really more, as John Lennon says, in just kind of the happening, what's kind of passing us by, and just like these little moments that you wouldn't think are important, but God, at the time, they're, they're huge, they're seismic. And so, yeah, it's, it's the most peaceful, funny, heartfelt, interesting meditation on time I've maybe ever seen. And yeah, you know, I know that there's been some criticism about the acting of Eller Coltrane, I'm I'm not with that. I think he's just fine, but I will say he's an audience surrogate. You know, in spite mm. of the title Boyhood, this really isn't his story. It's the story of time itself happening. And honestly, like I think the acting in this film is terrific. I like when I I just love these people is the truth of it. When I think of Samantha and her horseshit attitude, <laughs> uh, I love Patricia Arquette. Her arc is just so moving. Best performance of Ethan Hawke's career. Like really moving arc for him too about this kind of at first uh, hesitant father figure. Everyone just goes through their own journey, and it, yeah. Once again, like the idea that nothing happens in this movie is fucking recalculous. Like I've <laughs> I've not seen this much growth in any of the movies combined, frankly, as I do in Boyhood. And by the end of it, uh, you know, <laughs> with all that nothing happening, somehow by the end of it, it's the most emotionally overwhelming time I've had in a movie in years. So Boyhood number one. Ah, well, my number one is Whiplash. Um, it was a uh, great movie. Uh, <laughs> kept me engaged and interested the whole time, which most movies I uh, kind of get bored of or get distracted from pretty easily. Um, yeah, it was real cool, just like drumming. And uh, the dynamic between the students and the teacher was, uh, was real neat. And watching the guy evolve and get to be better and better. Uh, yeah, my number one, Whiplash. Good choice. Cool. All right, guys. Well, that closes hey. off 2014. That's oh. right. Tess is number one. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> not actually. Uh, <laughs> and now we can destroy the galaxy. <laughs> That's it. Unless some film can stop this from happening. 
the galaxy, fuck! Bitch. Oh shit! <laughs> my, okay, my number one is Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, this is one of those movies that um, I could probably watch anytime for any reason, and it would—it's just like it's such a comfort food movie that like I—I I, I think that you know if I was ever in a bad mood, I could just be like. I'm going to watch Guardians of the Galaxy and then I'm going to feel better. <laughs> like, you know, that's that's how I I feel about this movie and like I I saw it twice in the theaters um and it just got better each time I saw it. And like I you know the the one critique that I that I not only agree with but like, you know, I could I've heard a lot of people making is that the story itself is just such a like you know the prophecy of the destructive stones and like it's it's such like lord of the rings and space kind of a vibe but they do a great job of lampshading it and just throwing in this cast of characters that are all one part han solo uh, except for groot who's four parts uh chewbacca um and just you know you you like these characters so much and the soundtrack's so good and everyone is so funny that you kind of don't care that there's this, you know, macguffin what does he say? He's like, I'm getting this real Maltese Falcon MacGuffin feel from this thing, like, because nobody knows what the orb is yet. <laughs> and uh, they, they do a really good job of just kind of making that not as important as everybody else being funny. And uh, best for last here, uh, Bradley Cooper doing one of the best voice performances I think I've ever heard. He's so great as this, this raccoon. And like, you know, where Sherlock Holmes helped me maybe get over my fear of bees a little bit, I cannot say that Guardians of the Galaxy has helped with my fear of raccoons because this guy is about as big of an asshole as you would expect an actual raccoon to be. Um, I have a lot to say about this, but that voice performance is so great, and he's so funny, effortlessly. Um, and Chris Pratt, where the fuck does he get off being that sexy? I have never seen that before. On Parks and Rec, he does not look like that. I don't know what happened to him. Um, yeah, that's not fair. Uh, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, bitch. Number one and two movie, Chris Pratt is hero. Yeah, he is in, he, yeah, he's in both of my top two, oddly enough. Hmm. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for tuning in. That really uh, is the end of 2014, and since this is April, I guess I won't malinger anymore. Let's, let's get on with it. Let's get into 2015. Let's get some Tarantino, some David O. Russell. I hear Pixar is going to be fucking back in the mix. Mm -hmm. Excited to see Inside let's Out. Let's go hit them up. Yeah, let's just let's go hit the bricks. Let's find some great stuff and make this year even better. Goodbye. We love you. Whoop. That's a fake laugh. That is a real laugh. <laughs> that is the most sincere laugh. Now we're life. all standing like a bunch of jackasses. <laughs> so good. Okay. Hmm. What do we do about this running? I think here? we just leave. We just uh, one at a time. Everyone leaves. Let him go. Let him go. Grandy's leaving.
Good podcast. Good podcast. Kids. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get out of here. Frank it, bitch. Carnivorous couch. Shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob. Of course he's not fucking a superhero. He's just some guy. Like, I don't love him. I just want to murder him in his sleep.